Hello and welcome to the DMBA podcast where we share business confidence with designers and today we may also share some financial confidence with designers. So with me is my ex-colleague Akshan Ish. Um, we used to work together for a few years, what is it, like two or three years at yeah. IDEO in the Munich office. Yeah. So welcome, first of all, welcome Akshan to the podcast. Thank you, Alan. Yeah, we've been trying to do this for two years, I think. I'm glad we were finally able to make this happen. Finally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think one of the things that kept us from doing it was not being sure what the topic should be. Yeah. Um, but then uh, a few weeks back or last week, you sent me a uh, piece you wrote recently. How is it called? What's the exact title? Uh, it was called On Allocating uh, Money Across Countries. Exactly. Yep. And you were like, oh, I'm not sure if this is a good topic for, for the podcast. And I was like, no, this is a perfect. I, I wasn't even thinking about the podcast. I was just like, I, I know Alan's interested in like finance and we've talked about this, like, you know, when we were colleagues, we had like a few conversations and it was just that it was on the same email thread because that's where I was, I was talking to you. So then I was like, Hey, I actually wrote this thing. Like, do you want to check it out? And then, yeah, I guess that's kind of become the topic today. Exactly. So. Um, you said, I'm not sure if it's a good topic, but what, what you maybe don't know is that within the DMBA alumni, we have a channel called personal finance and like quarterly, we have a call and one of the alumni basically shares their approach to personal finance. And we obviously talked about ETFs, about saving money. Mm -hmm. uh, the most recent call was about, it was from an alumni who lives in Argentina and we talked about their hyperinflation. It was 77% in the last year. And nice. yeah, it's not a design topic per se, but it's still like it, it affects all of us and we should talk about it as a community. Yeah. And I think that actually is one of the reasons I start, I, I wrote that piece. Like, I mean, it's not like I, I'm a writer or, you know, like I'm an expert on this topic. It's just because for me being like from India, um, having lived in Germany now for almost nine, 10 years, um, having a kind of a stable, steady income, um, always kind of having this idea of like, you know, I should be investing here, but also like I should be doing something with my money back in India because I keep hearing vaguely that it's a growth market and all those type of things, but like not having any sort of sense of how to go about that. Um, when I did like figure some things out, um, I was like, actually, there's a lot of potential for me to share my learnings and just the thing, that, the journey that I'm on um, and put it out there and potentially like it'll be helpful for someone else as well. And then we can kind of do that together, right? Like, because there's a lot still that I have to learn. I mean, I've only started to get into this stuff like pretty recently. So no, but I was super happy to see you thinking about this because I was also <laughs> like, considering how do I also, you know, invest in the emerging markets such as India. I mean, this is the predominant, let's say, market that seems just destined to grow over the next five, 10 years. But you just, you know, like you're not involved culturally, financially, business-wise, and you don't know how to do it. So yep. let's unpack it slowly. I think one of the things that I mean, where I want to start is uh, I still remember when um, we started working together and since I was in the position of a business designer and you were working as a design researcher, 
I think you kind of approached me with with this thought of, okay, Alan probably knows something about finance. So I'll ask him. And you probably asked all the business designers in the office, I'm assuming. And you were like, hey, what should I do with my money? So yeah. let's start there. You know, why why did you have why did you have this um, goal or wish to do it? Because not everyone has it, especially early in their careers. Yeah, I mean I'm not exactly, I, I don't know if I can pinpoint to a specific thing, but um, I think one thing that was important for me is when I, I did my bachelor's in computer science back in India, and I wasn't a great student, so my parents had to pay a ton of money to like get me through college. Um, they did that by taking a loan, um, which then I had to repay once I did get my, you know, like did, did get a job and like started to have mm -hmm. like a fixed income. So, um, I mean, luckily for me, like I didn't know anything else about like finance. Like it was a very singular focus at the time. It's like, okay, I, I know I have to repay this amount of money. Like this is the amount of money I get. Like if I, you know, if I chunk out whatever X percentage of money per, per month and like send it back home, then this is taken care of in the next year. And then like, I don't have to worry about this. So it was more about like getting away from the hassle and, and like burden of having a loan, um, than like any kind of future planning or, you know, what, I mean, I didn't have excess surplus cash, like whatever I had, I was basically repaying my loan off. Now, when I learn about these things 10 years later, that was the smartest thing I think I, d I did. I yes. repaid that thing in one year and then that was done, right? Like I didn't mm -hmm. have to think about it anymore. Like imagine having carried it over all of these years, like with the interest rates and all that kind of stuff, it would have been crazy. Um, so yeah, sometimes like ignorance is great. Like <laughs> having a singular focus uh, was great. But I think once I was able to do that, then I was like, okay, then what do I do with like this excess cash? At the time, I didn't have like a family, no other responsibilities, you know, like living in my 20s and stuff. It was like, okay, I, I was paying off that loan. I had a singular goal. Now that goal was accomplished. Then what? Now what do I do? Enjoy. Spend it, right? Yeah, but I guess I was never really the type of person. I mean, I spent on stuff. Like I had a great 20s. I traveled a lot, like, you know, went to festivals and all of that. But still, like... I mean, it wasn't like I was going on shopping sprees every week, right? Like, it's just not the type yeah. of person I am. So um, there was that. But I, I think the problem I had always was like, it just felt so daunting, like so inaccessible to try and do anything with it. Um, and the chance of, I guess, I mean, the, yeah, the chance of failure was really high, uh, you know, not like, and then secondly, being in Germany, being an Indian, not having great like command of the German language back in the days. I mean, mm -hmm. not even right now that much, but like, especially back in the days, approaching a bank or like any sort of like broker or whatever, I, I would just drown in like the German, right? Like there's no way for me to like, um, understand that stuff. I think it's only recently that there's a lot of these like neo banks and like neo brokers and stuff who are, who are creating a few, a little bit more accessible sort of products. So, so for you, the, the, the obstacle was not just, let's say financial knowledge or literacy. It was also just, you know, the, you living in a new country, having a <clears throat> different legal system, not being sure how to do things. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, one of the biggest things there is like tax, 
It's like understanding, mm-hmm. okay, like uh, it's great, right? Like you get a salary and then tax gets deducted and you don't have to worry about it. Like it's just done if it's like a super clean book. But then the moment you start to like do all these other things, then you have to do like account for those type of things. And then, yeah, like again, also doing all of that in German was just like, I would rather just not do any of that. <laughs> it makes sense for some reason like yeah when i also moved to germany i have the feeling you know like every mistake i make they're gonna see it it's like <laughs> you know it's germans they are strict they are disciplined they definitely have things yeah. under control if i just do one thing wrong they're gonna come after me and just kick me out or whatever you know <laughs> yeah obviously it's not like that but it's just like even the stereotypes we have about countries maybe keep us back Yeah, but I like I would love to hear then how did you untangle this uh, this problem or this obstacle that you had? I did not for the longest time untangle <laughs> it. In fact, I think I made uh, quite a few stupid decisions in that process of not having understood the you know, the system or not being financially literate. Um I think the my first approach was like after I don't know, five or six years of having accumulated a whole bunch of cash like in my bank account as like okay what do i do with this lump sum amount that i have i mean it was it wasn't massive but it's still like more than what i need for the next six months of my life right right um i went to my bank which was the stupidest thing to do take us in the moment like okay so you literally went to the bank yeah so I did just, you actually schedule an appointment or did you just go to the bank teller like the random person in the bank like how, how did that look like um no i went to my uh bank branch like the one that okay. you know i typically go to and then i went to like Yeah, the teller or like whatever was like, hey, you know, I want to talk to someone about like my uh, investment opportunities or like what I should, you know, what I could potentially do. So I'm looking for like some sort of consulting, right? Like an advice on like what to do. Right. The bank saw money. So yeah, <laughs> they were yeah. like, like, of course, Mr. Rakshan, exactly. get into this room. We'll bring you coffee. We'll bring you cookies. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. They also gave me, um, uh, anyway, so then I sat down with this like, uh, consultant or like the yeah, yeah the, the financial advisor we had a conversation you know like about goals and like what to do and what not to do and um obviously i i mean it was very clear to them that i don't speak german very well and like you know we're trying to have conversation in english and um they're trying to simplify everything for me because obviously like mm-hmm. they're tr- like that's the other piece is like the language is interesting there because with finance like the devil is in the details you can understand the broad concepts but the devil is in the details but then just because of the translation they're trying to simplify things for you so you don't really understand everything on top of not mm. being financially literate in, in the first place right so anyway so i'm sitting down with them um and then you know they're they're looking through my bank accounts and like yeah yeah like there's you know there's quite oh, a bit that's nice <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah i wouldn't say like high net worth or anything like that but like yeah like there's there's a bit of like surplus cash here and we should probably put it into like an investment um whatever like portfolio and this was uh end of 2019 so right before the covid crash Um, mm. obviously we had no idea, like nobody had an idea, right? Like, so this was basically end of the 2019. So I'm sitting there and then they basically advised me 
three different, like two financial products. Mm-hmm. Um, one is like, um, whatever guaranteed, uh, fixed income plan that like, you know, in, when you retire, you get like X amount right. of money for sure back. Um, mm-hmm. and of course there's like good case, bad case, worst case kind of scenarios. Um, but when you're financially illiterate, like this idea of like a guarantee is amazing, yeah. right? Like, mm. like, ah, I can put this money amount of money and then I know for sure that in X amount of years, like I will get this back. Mm. Um, and, and then they also then in, um, were like, okay, you know, we could put, I don't know, 50, 60% of the surplus in there. Um, and then the rest of it, we can put in like two funds, uh, that we manage. And this are, these, these are the same things that, you know, I would advise my children or like my family to do it. I was mm-hmm. like, great. Like, of course, if you do that for your own family, then sure. Like, I mean, it must make a lot of sense. Right. Um, so was it like, um, what kind of fund was it? That's Just the, like, that's the whole point. I have, mm-hmm. I cannot understand what type of fund that is. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is the whole point. Um, I don't understand, like, I mean, now when I look at it and I've been trying to figure it out, right? Like it's a fund of funds, multi-cap, like the, all sorts of things across the globe. Like I, it's really hard to dissect what it is. And of course, not having a sense of like, what does 1% fee mean? Mm, versus, that's a big one. Versus like, I don't know. 0.2%. 0.2% fee mean mm. over 30, 40 years don't have that appreciation like one percent okay yeah like i spent 10 rupees nothing, sorry, right? 10, 10 euros like they get whatever like uh how, how much ever that is but it, it it doesn't you know like break my bank um yeah. this concept of compounding and all of that like is, is I mean, you're naive to it or at least i was so i was like great like yeah and this was more than one percent for sure like i was like i don't know 1.2 1.3 percent i don't know how much it was um I, I signed up for two of those funds and like one of those guaranteed return plans. The thing with the guaranteed return plan is that over the course of like whatever till I retire, so another 35, 30, 35 years, like I make 3% on it, right? <laughs> Which uh, annually, sorry, annually. Uh, yeah, like there's a 3% uh, sort of annual uh, thing um, where when I look at, like, I come from India, right? Like, we have a diff, like, there's a different sort of, like, numbers thing. We can get into it. Um, but also, like, under, just becoming more and more aware of, like, what is a good return for me? Like, what am I looking for? And it's not about being greedy or not about, like, you know, I want to make more, more, more. But, like, if I have 100 euros, like, what can I make that 100 euros do for me? And what is mm-hmm. the best way to make that possible? Like I can get a 3% return without having to pay like a 1%, uh, you know, co- like fee. Yes. I, I can do that myself. So why should I pay you that 1% fee? But that's the question I'm asking now when I'm a little bit more like literate, right? It's not the question I asked then. I signed up for those things, massive yeah. amounts of money in that. Then the COVID crash happened. My, like obviously the, the funds that they had like are down like 10, 15%, 20%, whatever, um, and it's really, and it's because big, it's relatively big chunks of money. Those haven't recovered yet. So like, I have a hard time even pulling that out. Mm. Right. And then there's another whole question of like, okay, how much can I take? Like, what is the opportunity cost of leaving them there versus right. like taking them out and doing something for that two years? But 
anyway, so yeah, like a couple of mistakes and blunders later. I'm trying to clean that up this year. Um, trying to get to a slightly better position. So before we go into cleaning it up, I think we need to now uh, unpack because in this story there is a few points that are super important that maybe someone who is you two years ago may be asking, what's wrong with one percent commission per mm-hmm. year or two percent? Um, and so that's one thing. So let's talk about this. And then maybe in this same topic, maybe you can say, what did you learn now over the last year? What is an expected return you're kind of aiming for? I yeah. think these are like super important concepts. And if you take just this thing from the episode, I think you learn a lot. So let's yeah. maybe focus on this for, for a moment. Yeah. I mean, again, I think people who are listening to this, like, shouldn't take this for any sort of like, you know, advice oh, yeah, or yeah. anything like that. Let obviously. me do the disclaimer. This yeah, is for informational and entertaining and educational purposes only, not an investment advice. Yeah. And no. also like, I'm like, we are not financial advisors or anything. No, no. Although no. we did do a project where we were, what were we like retirement? Con- no. Reimbursement <laughs> consultants. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, that's a different story, but yeah. Uh, yeah so, so I think the disclaimer that I'd wanted to give is like, The, all these numbers are a little bit like fictional. I think the main main part is the concept, like yes. whether I say 7% return or 12% return, like that's, it's very contextual. Uh, but I think the concept is more inter- interesting and important. Maybe let's start with like the um, 1% sort of like cost piece, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it comes down to compounding, Right, like how much, like one percent of let's say ten thousand euros per year over like thirty forty years um, is going to basically sum up to a lot more than point two percent or point three percent. It might not do that in the first year, not the second year, not the third year, but like when you get to like ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty five, thirty, then it just costs a lot more. But even if it costs a lot more, like the the bigger thing for me is like what I was saying earlier. If I can generate the same return by paying 0.2 or 0.3% fees, why would I then invest in something that basically generates the same return or even less in my case for a higher cost? That makes absolutely no sense to me, right? Mm-hmm. The, I mean, the other thing that's important to maybe understand or know is that when we look at like I mean, what I've understood so far is like when we look at market indices, whether it's the S&P 500 in the US or DAX here in Germany or in India, it's the Nifty 50. Even if you look at like the all world index, right? And index funds or like indexes are basically like all of the big companies in the market put together and you're just investing them across the board, right? There's different ways to do it, but like that's basically the thing. It's the easiest way to diversify, basically. So exactly. you're just buying with the S&P 500, for example, you're just buying 500 of the, big, the biggest companies in the US. Yeah. Yeah. And most, I think all company, uh, all countries or most countries have something similar for their own thing. If you're, I mean, interested, like if you, you can also do it at like a Europe level, like there's the Eurostox 50 or whatever, which does, or the Eurostox 600, which does the same at a European level. There's the world level and all of that. But The basic concept remains the same. And historically, if you look at it over like the last 25, 30 years, these indices, um, they've given pretty healthy, decent, 
inflation beating returns like yes even if it's like six seven percent right uh, i mean it might be more and less in some other cases but like just broadly speaking um so and and the costs usually for these because these are passively managed funds so there's nobody actually sitting down and like deciding what to invest in because they're just you know you're just investing in the broad market so there's no like human uh, that you're paying essentially or um, these cost a lot less uh, so they have a whatever 0.1 point 0.3% sort of uh, fee uh, as compared to some of the more actively managed ones which are, which are a little bit higher right like which are the ones that i now have some of my money in like and i'm losing money and i'm paying higher cost the the interesting thing about like these costs is also that you pay it regardless of whether you make a return or not yeah because it's based on the the money they're managing for you Exactly. It's the principal amount that they're, yeah, it's the percentage on the principal, not on the return. So you might, like, I, I'm losing like 10, 15% every year, but I'm still like paying the manager like X amount of money. I mean, I understand that, obviously, but it just like doesn't make sense to me from a uh, investment standpoint. No, totally. So I think the basic fundamental principle that you need to understand when you get into investing and even also if you get into loaning or uh, loaning yeah loaning money is um you're not getting a loan i mean is compounding and that's the thing that it just breaks our brains usually it's seven mm-hmm. percent return year over year year over year and so on it, it compounds much quicker than than you can imagine yep. so for example if if someone tells me, hey, you have 10K and I just invested it every year, I can get you around 5 to 7%. How long does it take you to double? Mm-hmm. Most people just using no calculator, no nothing, I think won't be able to calculate this quickly because it's like, oh, 7%. So if I put 7%, how many times do I need to put it to get it twice? Maybe 14, 15 years? No, it's around 10 years. Yeah, 17 return, right? Exactly. So that's, that's another trick. Yeah, we can talk about, but um, basically compounding is, I think there is this inf- no, famous story that Albert Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world mm-hmm. because it's, um, because it's just, it, it, it's, it's hidden in plain sight, but it's just one of the most important f- uh, laws of physics and money and so on. Yeah. And um, when it comes to finance, if you're paying a relative fee, which is always in, in percentages, that adds up very quickly. And there is a lot of research out there. So if you just Google for, uh, just Google maybe or ChatGPT for how much money does my wealth manager keep uh, versus me if I'm paying one or 2%. And mm-hmm. what you see is actually that over time, actually the wealth manager makes much more money just by investing uh, because they keep that 1% than you do because you're losing that 1%, 2% every year. Mm-hmm. So that's why this is one of the most important concepts in the finance. And that's why we're talking about this now as a mistake of auction. Yep. <laughs> Many mistakes uh, <laughs> later. I, yeah, I think uh, the other piece also to understand here is like, what I was talking about, um, like with compounding also, like it's not when we say 7%, like it's going to be 7% every single year, right? Yes. There's like mm. fluctuation. So like one year it might be 15%, the other year it might be 3% and overall, but like when you look at it over a period of time, then we're saying like it's like a 7% compounded sort of annual growth. 
which will compound exactly. to get you an X, whatever, like get you a decent chunk. Um, I think the other piece like that I learned is like, you know, we were talking about like how much return is mm-hmm. enough. Um, mm-hmm. That's a really hard one, right? Because I mean, I, I want like as much return as possible, but like there's uh, there's a lot of like risk and volatility sort of like associated with it. And, yep. and I, I learned um, to kind of keep an eye on like the inflation sort of number and just start to think about very humbly speaking, like it's like, I want the things that I can buy for 100 euros today, I want to be able to buy them tomorrow for 100 euros as well. Like if yep. you put that as like a goal in a way, then even if inflate, like, because if inflation, like that hundred euro thing becomes like, I don't know, 110 euros next year, you should have made 110 euros so that you can still afford that thing for this, for the same amount of money, right? Like kind of technically speaking. So, um, thinking about like how much return to make, I'm basically looking at like, okay, inflation now, I mean, even in Europe is like insane, seven, eight percent. Like that was usually in India is like five to six percent, which is quite interesting. Now, actually, they're kind of crossing. India always had much higher inflation than Europe did. And mm. those uh, that's kind of changing. Who knows how it's going to like go on. Um, but like, yeah, that like I'm, I'm happy with like a, you know, eight to ten percent like return uh that's kind of what i'm aiming for and i might make a little bit less than that um or more than that depending on like whatever market situation but if i'm doing that on a year-to-year basis like feel like it is much better than like not having done anything no for sure for sure i think this is in 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 finance like usually simple beats the more complicated approach Mm. and i think this is also warren buffett's uh uh, investment advice to many people in uh, let's say this age bracket but not even in this age bracket just across uh, different age bracket it's just like take your money put it in S&P 500 and just don't touch it yeah. uh, it's the, the most simple approach and it just works for most people uh, yes if you're Warren Buffett you can do the active investing but for most people this like just diversified across mm, across an index fund uh, and just expecting expecting average returns is above average result uh, for most people financially yep yeah yeah you did mention one thing that i i want to unpack you mentioned something about your uh indian perspective and numbers mm-hmm. what, what's that about right that sounds interesting yeah so <laughs> um when we say like the S&P 500 has given, I don't know, 7 8% return over the last X amount of years, um, the same index for India, which is the Nifty 50, uh, which is basically the 50 biggest companies uh, in India, has given about 12% um, over like the last 20, 25 years, whatever, right? Like 12% is like, if you, if you talk to anybody in the Indian circles, they'll be like, yeah, what is the index return you're getting? You're getting 12%. Like, that's the rough sort of number that you have mm-hmm. in your head. So the thing that, however, like you have to take into consideration is that uh, the European or the American dollar, European euro and American dollar are stronger than the Indian rupee in terms of uh, just the value of the currency mm-hmm. and the value of the rupee, which is the Indian currency, goes down every year by roughly three four percent at least that's been happening 
So when you make, when you do the math, let's say I was, I was going to send money to India, invest in the Nifty 50 index fund. I make 12% and then I bring it back. If I take into consideration the rupee depreciation over like the next year and so on, it's still like making 8%, 7% here. So it's not, uh, the numbers are higher, numbers feel higher, but like when you take that into consideration, like it's still right. at 7-8%. Of course, you also have to take into account like transfer fees, like I'm sending money, I'm bringing it back, um, taxation, like, you know, because I'm an Indian citizen still, I'm not a German citizen, um, I have a specific status and then I still have to pay taxes in India on specific capital gains. But I don't have to do, I don't pay double taxation. So I don't pay tax also in Germany for the money that I've made in India, right? Because of an agreement that Germany and India have. Um, mm -hmm. So all of those things taken into account, uh, a 12% in India for me is still equivalent to 7% here. That's how I think mm -hmm. about it. Then why did you, because in your, the piece that we mentioned at the top of the podcast, you're exploring how you can invest in India. So yeah. I think for, first of all, I would love to hear your uh, perspective on it, mm -hmm. especially on the why, you know, why India, not just for you, but I think it also why in general it makes sense for maybe anyone listening to also think about this and then how. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to go in there. So why, I'll, like for me, is pretty simple. Like I'm an Indian citizen. I lived, the first 23 years of my life in India, I understand a little bit of like, uh, I mean, I, I've, I've grown up with the companies that are now on the stock exchange, right? Like I've, I've been a consumer of these products. I understand them. Um, so there's a huge emotional attachment to it. Like that's just because I come from that and it happens to be a growing market. So like there's an emotional attachment. Second piece is like, um, I still have family back in India, like lots of people. Um, you know, I, that, like my, my son is growing up bilingual. Uh, I, like he speaks Hindi and German. So I, I want to make sure that he has, um, enough of, a, or good enough of a relationship with like the country. So even in the future, we might think about, I don't know, like investing in like buying a house there or like, because we, we do keep traveling and so on. So, uh, I also have, like I mentioned, family and parents who are aging uh, might need to take care of them in the future. So I do require, I feel like I do require a certain amount of fund or money uh, in India that I will need mm -hmm. to pour there in any case, like going forward, right? Um, that's the second piece. The third piece, I think, which is the most interesting um, is that I mentioned how I made these mistakes and so on. And the reason I started to like, get back into it and become more knowledgeable is because instead of trying to learn things from a German or an American or an international perspective, I started to learn stuff from an Indian perspective. I started to look at Indian blogs, Indian content creators, um, like, you know, Indian companies, there's like new brokers and, and so on. And there's so much like India has gone, uh, ha has kind of shot up in terms of like retail investing. So the amount of people like investing in India has gone up basically during the COVID sort of pandemic. Um, but as a result of that, there's a lot more accessible content and it's content I understand because I know the companies that they're talking about. I know mm -hmm. the dynamics that they're talking about. So that has been a great way for me to understand the, 
like the fundamental concepts of investing and of finance and of how to look at like, I don't know, like what is a good performing company and all. And then I'm starting to now realize that now when I read other things or like start to look at like the American market or the European market, I'm able to apply the same concepts because the underlying concepts are the same, but it's just made it much more accessible for me. Um, so that's, that's like reason number three. Cool. Mm. There's a last reason which comes down a little bit to like asset allocation and or thinking about how to kind of like um, split money or split your investments. Um, maybe this is completely wrong, but in my head currently, the way that I think about it is like um, I divide my portfolio into like 65 to 70% relatively safe assets and, 20, and 30 to 35% growth assets. Not necessarily mm-hmm. risky, but like things that have a higher potential for return. Um, and that kind of logic permeates across the board. So it goes from like, okay, so that means 65% of my assets are uh, in European and American like markets. 35% is in India. 65% is equities. 35% is like debt and gold and like fixed income kind of stuff. Um, you know, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Uh, maybe it's not the right way. Like I'm not suggesting that, but it just helps me to like, you know, yeah. bifurcate that. And, and why the split 65-35? No specific reason. I think it's more about like what I'm, what you're feeling comfortable with. Like there's a few different mm-hmm. frameworks out there that like old investing advice, like, you know, there's the um, um, 100 minus your age rule, um, which is basically like, you know, you, you subtract your age from 100 and then whatever is left, you can put in uh, equities, which are slightly more volatile, but also provide more return. And then whatever your age is, you should um, put in like debt and like slightly more safer assets. Um, it's not completely logical because your situation might be different. Like, you know, it's not just dependent on your age. Like I'm not mm. saying that is the right framework, but it's a, it's somehow a number that I feel comfortable with, <laughs> like 60, 70%. Yeah, like this feels more stable. And then the rest of it is like a little bit more um, interesting. Um, <laughs> and I think that's the other part of it is also like, I think index investing and so on is absolutely fantastic. Uh, but for me to be able to like actually learn about stuff and get into, you know, these uh, like get into these topics um i felt like i needed a little bit of like um i I needed to do a little bit myself to be Mm -hmm. able to like test the waters to be able to learn what it takes or to learn how to say this is a good whatever fund versus not a good fund and so on and so forth um so there's like a learning aspect to it as, as well for me and i just found india to be so much more accessible to do that so much more accessible than you thought or just because like in general much more accessible than you thought or because you are Indian and then it's easier for you to to think through I think the um the content that people are putting out like because I mentioned that there's a lot more retail investors now in the last couple of years um the blogs and articles and videos and books and so on right are just a lot more easier to follow and understand than for me to like try and understand what's happening at the 
in the Frankfurt Exchange or like, you know, anywhere else. So yeah, um, good luck with that. Yeah. Part of it is obviously because I'm Indian and I relate to that stuff, right? Mm. Yeah. So do you have any advice on like the best resources for people to read? Because there's also very, it's, there's a lot of resources out there and a lot of bad advice. If you go on TikTok, on YouTube, yeah. there's just a lot no. of people who, uh, yeah, give interesting <laughs> advice, let's say at least. So is there anything like you found trustworthy that it's like your own yeah. Bible when it comes to this? Yeah. So, um, there's uh, India's largest broker, so the brokerage platform where you would have an account to be able to like um, buy and sell equities and so on. It's called Zerodha. And they have an education unit called Varsity, uh, which is an entire like education program uh, free of cost, uh, including like obviously uh, text material and videos and so on, where they basically go through all of these different concepts. Um, and that's kind of what became my reference guide. When I didn't understand a concept, I could just quickly go there. It's got like lovely stories about how to think about personal finance um, and all of the topics that we touched on. Like, why is it important to touch on, you know, why is it important to think about compounding? Like what happens with this stuff? And, um, you know, how should you think about it if your situation is slightly different than mine, where, you know, I, I have one child and two parents to take care of, whereas you might be in your 20s and not have any responsibilities. You know, all those type of things um, with just about enough sort of technical knowledge in there. Um, so I found that really, really, really helpful uh, to to kind of like learn through. And then, of course, I think um, there's all of the classic books and stuff that you could look at and the summaries and stuff. But yeah, for me, it was a bit much. Those things were a bit much. So mm. have you, have you picked up psychology of money? No, not yet. By Morgan Housel. It's a pretty recent book, but I found it really, uh, it's really nicely written because it's written by a person who knows how to write. <laughs> it's just really nicely written. Yeah. It's not like written by a financial guru, but it's right. someone who just writes. And um, every chapter comes in with a really like uh, interesting spin on a topic that is like unexpected and new. And I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, for anyone who is kind of new to the topic, I think it's, mm -hmm. I wouldn't even dare to say maybe the only book you need to read. Maybe <laughs> the more you read, the more you're going to get confused. And this is the one that the whole premise is that finance is one of the rare, uh, rare fields of life where people with less knowledge can have much better results than people with more knowledge. Right. If you like the example he gives in the intro is if you're a doctor, you, if you're a patient with a certain disease, you do want to get advice from the best doctor, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want a random person on the street giving you a treatment, but with finance, random person on the street may have much better results than mm -hmm. the person in the suit. And then he goes basically through this, I think it's 15 or 20 chapters of psychology of money. And, you know, in there it's baked this idea of compounding and different diversifications and risk factors and so on, but it's, it's really well written. So mm -hmm. definitely recommend it. And it goes across the border. So it's not just written for the US market. Yeah. 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 That's cool. I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, definitely. And the second part we haven't still touched yeah. upon is, so we talked about the why yeah. for the investing in India and the how. And 
obviously you can explain your situation, but I think for other people who are not yeah. residents, they are also interested in how maybe they could invest, you know, yeah. from abroad. Yeah, I think um, maybe I'll just quickly go. So we touched on the why from a very like personal standpoint of like why I invest, but I mm. think there's a few macroeconomic factors yes. about why India is probably a good place to invest regardless of like whether you're Indian or not, but you're just looking to like invest some money. Um, there's a couple of different things that are going on. So like one of the big things that's happening is obviously that um, India is really, really picking up like manufacturing steam. So, you know, like China used to be the absolute manufacturing hub of the world. Some of that is diversifying. So like, you know, Apple and Tesla and so on are like building factories. This has got to do a little bit with like the government as well, basically saying if you want to sell in this massive Indian market, you need to build it here. Um, again, I'm not like a macroeconomic consultant or anything, but like these are just things that I've been picking up from like my own personal experience of being there and like, you know, hearing things. Yeah. The second thing which I think is absolutely incredible and insane is uh, the proliferation of digital money digital payments so if you i don't know if you've ever visited india but like i, I think you've gone with to, you that's true um, yeah. absolutely <laughs> so um you know how i like, can't remember my first dish there <laughs> got me crying very quickly <gasps> oh my goodness I, yeah of course yeah, um yeah. bangaluru um so um you know how on the street, like you have vendors and stuff like selling, you know, a little bit of tea and snacks and so on. Mm. Uh, you pay through QR codes, like you pay through mobile wow. money, right? Like you pay your auto rickshaw driver through mobile money. You you buy groceries on the street through mobile money. Like mobile money is basically everywhere. Try that in Germany, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Even in the restaurant, like an ordinary restaurant. Sorry, just cash. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So I think you see the impact of that. And I think um, it's, it's, so, it's become such a norm now, like that you wouldn't even necessarily think about taking cash anywhere. Like you don't need it. Um, but what that does, I think, and this is my theory, it's not like any sort of thing I've learned or read or anything like that, but this is just my theory. Um, this allows people to, like, um, this allows companies that are collecting this money and banks to basically bring people who were previously not in the financial system, mm. who were much more informal in their dealings and it was cash and no paperwork and so on. It allows them to bring all of those people into the financial system, which means that right. These people, if they want to grow their businesses, it's much easier to get like loans and much easier to get capital um, because you can show like transaction histories and stuff like that. Mm. So just thinking about the rural and like middle class kind of growth because of that, uh, because of these payment infrastructure, um, right. I think it's it basically is going to impact every single sort of part of the economy in in that way, right? Um, so. I mean, those are like two sort of macroeconomic factors, I think, or at least just the macro factors to take into consideration. And even if you just look at like past returns and stuff, um, I, I was reading, um, there's a newsletter called Of Dollars and Data, which is quite a nice uh, 
uh, nice one where, you know, again, about like finance and so on. Um, and there's an article about like, you know, thinking about investing uh, internationally and like how to think about that. And there's like a proper analysis of like returns from past years and risk and all of those type of things. And what they found in that article is that over, I don't know, the past 20 years, or I'm not exactly sure, but like back testing this, if you invested every month X amount of money in the US market versus the Indian market, you'd have more from the Indian market than the US market, right? Although the US market has grown exponentially because of the FANG uh, tech companies and so on. So from a return standpoint, it's been a really strong market and there's only so much more potential for it to grow um, as it becomes like a massive economy, right? So like it's, it's, it's the, the economy is also slated to maybe even um, kind of, how do you say, like uh, become bigger than some of the more developed nations or some of the more Western countries in the next, yeah. you know, five years, 10 years, whatever time. So there's just a lot of potential for growth. Um, and the last thing I would say is like, there's, there's a few companies that are super dominant, like, you know, if you think about banking, there's like a couple of companies that are dominant. If you think about technology or there's a couple of manufacturing, like any sector you take, there's like one or two companies that every single person would know about. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, these are like almost like monopolies in a way, like they've created so much competitive advantage for themselves um, that especially growing up there, I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense that these, that these companies have like become so huge um, and continue to be, be more profitable and like, you know, continue to like grow. Um, so it, well, why, why does it make sense? Why, why is it so obvious that they are monopolies? Uh, just because of like, you know, growing up with them, like I, I saw them ev pop up everywhere and I saw, I've seen their growth over time. Um, and also there's like a brand and reputation sort of, uh, you know, angle to it, like how people think about like, oh, if you want to open a new bank account, they'll advise you to open a bank account with this specific bank. Like, although there's like, you know, 15 other banks that you could be doing it from, um, or like, you know, FMCG products, like fast moving consumer goods, like there's like one or two, you know, big companies like that do that work, do that for like all, they have a very diverse range of products and so on that mm -hmm. I've grown up with that I know very well. Um, so in a way, like it, again, I think it goes back to the fact for me in that case, it's relatable. Like I understand that, but just to say that there's, there's a lot of growth potential. Um, there's like massive proliferation of digital payment infrastructure, which the government also supports. So there's just like massive, uh, opportunity. I think the other piece we want to talk about is how, right? Um, um, yes. Yeah. Give us the recipe. I mean, I, so I, I obviously because I'm an Indian citizen, like I can, um, you know, invest directly, um, through like the Indian broking system and stock market and all of that. Um, so I, I do it more through that route. But what I've also seen is that there are India specific ETFs that you can buy from your own broker, like no matter where you are, um, which obviously will give you a sense of like, okay, what companies or what holdings there are in this um, ETF and, and so on. I, I, I don't know any specific ETF. Like I wouldn't be able to say like, you know, this is an ETF you should go with, but um, 
but I think what's important to think about is like what I said, if the benchmark index is giving 12% return mm-hmm. and with, if you hedge it with the currency and so on, like it's like seven, eight percent, then I think an ETF where, which is giving that sort of return over the last X amount of years uh, and doesn't cost too much is probably a pretty decent sort of like investment instrument to have um, a little bit, you know, to, to allocate some portion of your investment. Um, there's like with any market, there's like large cap, mid cap, small cap companies, you know, large cap are like the ones that have massive market capitalization. There's, these are the big sort of companies, but then a lot of the volatility and the growth happens in the mid and the small cap sort of sector, which are smaller companies uh, still on the stock exchange, but like much smaller than like maybe the bigger ones. Um, so I think if you obviously depending on your risk appetite, like you can choose between, okay, no, I invest only in the large, like the the biggest 50 companies versus the 250 companies. And you probably have a little bit more of like a fluctuation in, in that market. So. so they are different. So you mentioned Nifty 50, right? Yeah. Are there any other super well-known indexes yep. like Nifty 50? Is it like Nifty 250, Nifty yep. 500? Yep. Is that... Yeah, yeah, so there's okay. um, there's the Nifty 50, there's the, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. There's the Nifty Next 50, which is like the 50 after the first 50. Um, so that's from 50 to 100. Yeah. Okay. I, I can talk a little bit about like what I invest in and I mean, maybe that makes sense. Maybe that's helpful. Maybe that's not. So I have the Nifty 50 index fund, which is mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the 50, but then I also have a Nifty small cap 250 which is basically all of the, or like the 250 small cap companies. It's an index of that, of the 250 small cap. So that is like my bet money, but diversified across 250 right. companies, right? Um, so I'm not taking a bet on a specific sort of company in a way, because I don't know enough about these small cap companies. And that's smart, I think. Even with these indices, it can still go either way. And I think it's just much better approach in general. This small cap 250, so this is not 250 biggest companies. It's actually 250 companies somewhere in between with the medium sized, probably still huge, but like not yeah. the biggest ones. Exactly. So there, there's the market is divided into like large cap, mid cap and small cap. And right. there's a, there's a threshold. I don't exactly remember what the threshold is, like how much market capitalization, yeah. you know you fall under one of these buckets. So the small cap 250 is the first 250 small cap companies. So the largest 250 small cap companies, basically. Got it. Right. Got it. Yeah. Um, I think we need to finish this podcast because I need to, I need to do some research. <laughs> we should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, uh, we're, we're really like getting on this thing. Yeah. 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 No, but it's super interesting. It's it's even though I could, you know, start this research myself, I think it's always just nicer to also hear from the person who is quote unquote local in a way, you know, you're embedded in the culture and uh and and with people there and you kind of also on the ground see what's happening and if people are also optimistic or pessimistic. So it does sound like it's definitely something we should all explore more in general first having an approach to personal finance and secondly also thinking about maybe as you call it the bet money and maybe investing also in the high growth areas yeah 
Again, not financial advice, just sharing perspective, right? <laughs> Definitely. No, and this was all just uh, informational, educational, and entertaining purposes only. <laughs> not accredited financial yeah. advisors, even though we probably uh, have your interests more in mind than they do. Potentially, yeah. yeah. Potentially, you know, there's this... <laughs> yeah, let's not even go into that. No, no. Akshan, that was a lot of fun. Um, maybe you come back on again and you can tell us about uh the results or even not just the results we can talk about your work at spotify or anything else um yeah just fyi my discover weekly has been acting up lately is that uh, a common thing or uh i don't work in that part of the org is what i will say <laughs> i have no responsibility of that for that yeah um Alrighty. yeah cool i hope this was uh well fun and uh i I didn't realize we could spend an hour just talking about this stuff. Um, Easily. Which is uh, just crazy. Yeah, you don't know, like, once you start recording these, I know in the beginning, when I recorded the first 20, 25, I always had so many topics ready, and I thought we need to hit all of them, and then you see, actually, one deep is usually better, and it's yeah. usually more than enough for 45, sometimes even an hour. Yeah. We, we didn't talk about the design side of things at all. That's fine. I think yeah. we we are designers talking about it, so that's I think it's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. But if you, the listener who came to the end of this podcast, have any questions for Aksham, just send me an email to hello at deal.mba and we can bring Aksham back on and we can talk about the design perspective or about any further details Cool that you heard today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Aksham. Talk to you soon then. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you may also enjoy our email course, uh, a free email course where over seven days you receive seven emails and in each of them we introduce a business concept, a business concept that is relevant for the work of designers and we also explain how it fits into a designer's toolkit. So to uh, sign up for the mini MBA, you can head over to d.mba slash mini MBA. So again, that's d.mba slash mini MBA. It's all together. Ready. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And um, yeah, see you soon in the next one. Bye-bye.